Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast this summer. No. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like a movie trailer. That was that was what I was going for. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. I'm Lauren Nelchello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. And I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor for Water and Waste Digest. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we'll touch on a new U.S. EPA action under the Toxic Substances Control Act prohibiting long-chain PFAS. We'll also share news of a new report covering groundwater depletion on the West Coast. And we also discuss a new 20-year clean water plan in Northeast Ohio. Finally, our interview this month is with Lisa Brandt, CTO for LG Sonic. The conversation covers the importance of water quality monitoring in developing long-term sustainable surface water treatment solutions. It also explores the impact algal blooms have on the U.S. economy and the role smart, sustainable solutions may play in water management moving forward. But before that, Bob, do you want to go ahead and share some news? Yeah, so the first news item is about this uh, Toxic Substances Control Act that the EPA issued. They issued this final rule on June 22nd that gives the agency the authority to review a long list of products containing PFAS before they could be manufactured, sold, or imported into the US. As I said, this falls under the TSCA, the Toxic Substances Control Act. And it means the EPA can prohibit companies from manufacturing, processing, or importing products containing certain long chain PFAS chemicals, which we know persist in the environment, particularly in water. Um, and of course, they also have adverse health effects to humans and animals. Based on this release from the EPA, prior review and approval of certain products may allow them to be manufactured, sold, or imported into the U.S., but it does have to go through the EPA first. The, the release specifically does single out a couple things. Notably, Ski Wax is at the top of the list that they mentioned there. It's a shorter list, though. Ski Wax, furniture, electronics, household appliances, and carpet being imported with to the EPA or being imported to the U.S. without EPA approval will not be able to enter. Uh, while those specific items are not directly related to water in the U.S., the manufacturing side is more of what I feel like this brings into a more one water perspective here in the sense that a lot of these products are manufactured and use water and the processed water from those may contain that PFAS chemical. So when it's discharged, it does enter the environment. Um, so my thinking on this, I know this is kind of taking a, a long way around to it, is that through that discharge, by eliminating the manufacturing of these things, it will reduce the PFAS discharged into the environment and therefore could change or reduce the required treatment that is necessary at a wastewater treatment plant or a drinking water treatment plant to make sure that those chemicals don't exist in their processes as well. So long way to go about that is saying that these things can't be manufactured or brought into the U.S. and it's trying to reduce that load of PFAS in our environment here. Um, one element from that EPA press release that I wanted to stress as well is that uh, they say that the action levels the playing field for companies that have already previously voluntarily phased out the use of long-chain PFAS chemicals 
under the EPA's prior PFOA stewardship program. Um, and I appreciate, Bob, how you're looking kind of at that end use implication, which of course we're all concerned about from the one water approach. Yeah, because the direct implication doesn't really bring in the water aspect, but when you think about it more, you recognize kind of how it would tie in. I don't know how great a difference it will make in terms of the water aspect, but it's worth noting that it could impact certain communities, especially that have manufacturing of these products that contain those PFAS chemicals. So. Yeah, especially small systems too, where the cost of treating for these kinds of chemicals are um, exponential. Yes, absolutely. The next piece of news we have to talk about today, I brought to the table, it's a new report commissioned by the Water Foundation titled Groundwater Management and Safe Drinking Water in the San Joaquin Valley. And it investigates 26 groundwater sustainability plans in that valley in California, seeking to understand how private domestic drinking water wells may be impacted by climate. Thought this was especially timely to discuss in July, uh, specifically as our interview this month and the subject of this podcast is climate. So the study pointed to falling groundwater levels as a key driver behind potential future water scarcity issues in this particular region. And it found some pretty startling uh, results if the goals and the plans are not addressed. Notably, between 4,000 and 12,000 partially or completely dry drinking water wells by 2040 are likely to occur, and between 46,000 and 127,000 people may lose some or all of their primary water supply by 2040 if these plans are not addressed. And this also reminded me of a previous report I had read in 2018 via BBC on the 11 cities most likely to run out of drinking water by uh, 2030. Bob, I think you and I may have discussed this in the past on the show, this 2018 report, but it listed cities like Sao Paulo, Bangalore, Beijing, but also cities like London, Tokyo, and Miami. Uh, so I think it's always really important to keep revisiting conversations about water scarcity and curious to hear from you guys what you took away from this report. Yeah, I one of the interesting things I wanted to bring up too is that one of the cities you can add to that is Joliet, Illinois which we are aware, despite being an hour from Lake Michigan, its groundwater wells are running dry and they're looking to do some serious work to get water from Lake Michigan to their community so that they don't run out of water. So even in an area where water is prevalent, you can run into these issues. I mean, think about London being in the UK, you're surrounded by ocean water everywhere, right? So we know that the presence of water itself isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that a place is not water scarce. Yeah, and what stood out to me is that, I, you know, it mentions that in, in January 2020, the, you know, newly formed agency submitted their first, you know, plan as a draft. And then they mentioned that since then, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown people how, you know, public health, economic security, and clean water are intertwined. So I think it's, another good reminder that clean water is so vital to a livable community that, so I'm interested to see where it goes. That's a really good point to bring up, absolutely. And I think something that's been all on all of our minds lately as we've been reporting on the intersections of COVID and uh, the water community, water access. Mm -hmm. Indeed. 
So Katie, you had another news item to wrap up our news section, which kind of ties nicely in with our interview today. If you want to talk about it some. Yeah, definitely. So um, the Northeast Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency is proposing a clean water plan called Clean Water 2020 that would serve as a 20-year roadmap for wastewater management and water quality across five counties if it's approved. Um, and this would be an update to the Clean Water 2000 uh, roadmap that they have. Goals of this proposal include maintaining water quality improvements, protecting and restoring water, and helping manage stormwater runoff and sewage treatment systems. It also would address problems like toxic algal blooms in Lake Erie that are caused by phosphorus from fertilizer and manure runoff. Um, and the public can comment on this plan until July 20th. Um, but I just thought it was so interesting, and it kind of touches on the, the One Water movement that we always try to bring up in the podcast. So I would be interested to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Yeah, one of the things that I immediately am brought to mind is the Cuyahoga River fire that uh, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District has done a lot of messaging on that fire and the devastating impact it's had and all the progress that they've made in the years since that time to affect clean uh, water quality and making sure that that basically doesn't happen again. So it's this just seems like it's building upon the plans that they've already done and clearly they've done a pretty good job if they've been able to come from a river on fire to a cleaner waterway yeah definitely in ohio um as a state governor mike dewine also you know made the h2 ohio plan that we've discussed on the podcast before um so it seems like this kind of works in tandem with that even though this is just for five counties of course but Still, it looks like it's a little piggybacking off each other. And Katie, I know you mentioned One Water as an element behind this plan, but I'm also noticing it that um, runoff management, particularly for phosphorus management, is a very, very key component of the plan, which is uh, dovetails really nicely with our interview today, which is all about algal bloom management, of course. So let's dive into that interview then. Our interview today is with Lisa Brand, who is the CTO for LG Sonic. Um, I spoke with her about the connection between water quality monitoring and long-term sustainable solutions, particularly as relates to algal blooms. We also discussed the impact of algal blooms on the U.S. economy, which was a really interesting discussion, and how smart and sustainable solutions will impact water management moving forward across the board. Um, so here's that interview. I'm joined today by Lisa Brand, who's CTO for LG Sonic. Thank you for joining me today, Lisa. I appreciate your time. Thank you for hosting me. Um, of course, first, how are you doing? You're based in Amsterdam, I know. So how, how are things for you right now? Well, things are getting slowly back to normal. So uh, I see that, well, we see in Holland at least that uh, our economy is opening up and uh, the lockdown is getting less strict. Uh, uh, companies are opening up, in including ours, luckily. Um, so I, I definitely feel fortunate. I think here in the Netherlands, uh, we, uh, we, we got off on the better end. And I see from many of our customers all around the world that, yeah, in a lot of uh, countries, it hasn't been so fortunate as here. Yeah, and I see you're, you're actually based at your office right now, so you're able to be back at your office safely. 
Yeah, yeah, we uh, we managed to implement uh, a way where everybody could work without being too close to each other and without being uh, having uh, a risk of uh, of catching the virus. So, so I think for that everybody is really enjoying also to work back in the office and to have the communication uh, back over. Yeah, and you guys have customers from around the world, right? So you're probably hearing a lot of different perspectives about how people are handling the situation right now. Yes, yes, and we work, for example, a lot in Latin America, and uh, yeah, that is at the moment, uh, it, it's still a big worry there, and, and some of these countries are really struggling with uh, with the virus. And then we also have customers, for example, in New Zealand, who who, uh, who, who did a very good job with uh, with this, but all over the world, people are, are working from home, and, and everybody's in the same boat, so... Yeah. Well, it's great to e-meet you. Again, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. We've coordinated a little bit in the past on articles, so it's it's very cool to meet you. Um, first, just to start off in our chat today, can you give me just a little bit of brief, high-level background for those who may not be familiar with LG Sonic about what you guys do? And then also, um, a little bit of your history with the team, too, would be great to hear. Sure. So I'm, I'm actually one of the co-founders of the company. So I've been involved uh, in the start with this. And with LG Sonic, I mean, we our focus is to provide environmentally friendly water treatment for algae blooms uh, on large water surfaces. So that's really always been our niche market where, where a lot of technologies are already available for small ponds or small reservoirs. We really always focused on the large lakes and the large water surfaces. Um, in our focus and in our innovation process, what has always been leading is the fact that we want our technology to be environmentally friendly, mm -hmm. but we also really want it to, um, to work along with the ecosystem. So where a lot of, I mean, you can add chemicals to a lake and it will control the algae, but it will also kill your bacteria. And if you're uh, in bad luck, maybe your plant. So in the end, you're really... Um, making the ecosystem worse and, and therefore the dependence on your chemical worse. So we always wanted to work with technologies that would uh, improve the ecosystem, that would help the ecosystem so that it could also deal better with inflowing nutrients um, from there on. So that's always been our focus in our development. Um, and we've introduced the MPC buoy system back in 2014. Um, one of our first installations was in the U United States with American Water. Um, and, and this system, it, it uses water quality monitoring to uh, determine but also predict the algae and, and uh, see in what growth stage they are. And then it uses a specific ultrasonic sound wave of specific frequencies and a specific amplitude to basically press these algae down in a deeper layer of the water body. And it prevents them from getting enough sunlight so that they, uh, they will not go into this blooming stage. So it's also not something that will break open the cell or lyse the cell, but it just takes their dominant position out of the water body so that the normal ecological status of the lake can also take over again. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely want to circle back to that sustainable element because I know that's a huge component of your technology, and I think it's really important to drill down on. But you mentioned something else I want to touch on, which is um, water quality monitoring is a huge part of uh, your solutions. And that's also sometimes a facet that's maybe overlooked at times. So yeah. how does water quality monitoring play a vital role in long-term and sustainable water treatment solutions? 
Well, in my opinion, you can't do without it. I mean, an, an algae bloom is the result that something is wrong, that something went wrong in your in your ecosystem and, and you have algae now. But the reason behind it can be different for every water body. And we see that through all our projects, while, while we are monitoring the, these lakes, we see that so many different events have an effect um, an effect on the water quality and eventually on the algae bloom and you can you can really only find that out not only by monitoring but by monitoring regularly because these events can be very short so uh, if you would do let's say a normal sampling routine that comes in every week you you would miss these events so really looking at the trends of of what your online water quality monitoring provides you helps you give helps you get so much information on on right how a lake is is functioning and and how the different uh, the, the climate the climate the weather inflowing nutrients how that all affects how the lake is functioning yeah and you mentioned uh water quality from water body to water body is completely variable and i think that's really really vital to stress for sure so um there was something that you had mentioned when we were coordinating initially and that was the impact on the u.s economy of algal blooms and the environment and i think that's probably a pretty timely thing to um dive into right now with certainly some variables there so um what is that impact and you know maybe how can we get out of it well it's really diverse isn't it i mean algae can can hamper damage so so many facets of of uh, of the economy i mean if you think of uh, all the restaurants and and recreational facilities around the lake that can no longer open but there is also um there is also the the fact that for example in local aquaculture uh, fish dive for example last year in norway i think uh, it cost around 24 million just on on fish that died from an algae bloom um, yeah, and then there is the health impact. Um, Ohio uh, on Lake Erie in in 2014, I think 400,000 yeah. people left without water. Um, Lake Okeechobee in Florida this year, which doesn't only uh, affect the use of the lake, but also all these toxic algae flowing into the Everglades, which which can have a huge impact on the wildlife there. So, so the impacts of algae blooms can be can be really really uh, big. Um, and then there is still the impact on on the operation of a drinking water treatment plant, which of course can also not function very well when you take all these organic materials in and right. potentially toxic algae. Right. Yeah, that's a huge infrastructure cost, like down the yes. line, not just immediately. But um, and when you see an algal bloom like that, it's such really powerful imagery. It does make me wonder if that gets consumers or people not involved in the water industry interested in combating that because it is really powerful to see like the impacts yes. of that on the ecosystem yes yes and and not only to the fish but for example um in, in florida they they also recently came with with a study which proved that um, these toxins also uh, could become aerosol when it was um for example, pumps into sprinklers so that even people not directly oh. living next to the lake could still be affected. And, and I think that's also the problem with algae bloom is that there are there is also a lot of information that is that we just don't know yet and, and that we just yeah. can't see the full impact yet of the toxicity also of, of the algae blooming in these lakes. 
I didn't know that. Thank you for teaching me. That's startling. <laughs> That's startling. Wow. Um, so I want to circle back to uh, the sustainable element that we talked about at the beginning of our chat, because I know your technology has a lot of sustainable capacities. It could be solar power. It's run by ultrasonic. It's really cool. So how will smart and sustainable solutions play a role in water management moving forward? Well, it's it's vital. I mean, if you if you've been if you look at how water treatment of surface water um, in the past has been, then it's been largely based on on the addition of chemicals, and and there's nothing smart about that. You don't take into account the uh, the ecosystem. You don't take into account the reason why the algae started blooming. You just kill the ecosystem even further. And we, we are seeing now that that's not a solution because algae blooms are becoming worse and worse every year. And, and that's of course also due to climate change, but also because we, we haven't really managed it very properly until now. And um, it's also, you also, um, when, when people speak about algae blooms, uh, one of the first things you usually hear is, well, there are, uh, it, it's a problem of eutrophication. We have nutrient pollution. We should stop the nutrient pollution. And, and which is, of course, true. I mean, this is the reason that most of the algae blooms start. Um, but that doesn't automatically mean that it's the solution to, to solve the algae blooms. Because we are now dealing with lakes that have uh, such bad water quality and such a, um, um, a big influence on the ecosystem already that if you would stop the nutrient inflow, you still have nutrients build up in your sediments. You still have a problem that uh, the current water quality uh, doesn't really sustain plant growth anymore, which would normally consume part of these nutrients. So just stopping these nutrient inflow is not going to solve the problem. To solve the problem, you need... A, a combination of technologies probably where monitoring is part of it and, and a direct sustainable way of stopping the algae bloom so that your water quality can go back to uh, um, back to a quality where you can also support your ecosystem again, support your plant life again, um, get your dissolved oxygen levels at the sediment up so that you will not have the release of the nutrients from the sediment anymore. So, so it, it, it should be a complete solution that's built on what the lake or the reservoir at that time needs. Interesting. I'm definitely hearing you say, um, A, these problems need multifaceted solutions. It's not going to be a, a one-size-fits-all, and water never is, right? Water no. is never a one-size-fits-all, um, but also that it's really important to work in partnership with the environment, and it sounds to me like that for you is a driving part of your mission as well, personally. Absolutely, yes, yes, and I think... Uh, the way forward is not by by killing the ecosystem any further we've we've came to this point and we really should change our directions and that is for me definitely uh, what what is what is what i think is most interesting of of this mission uh, mm -hmm. that Sonic has but it also has the other part where for example we've been doing a project in the dominican republic uh, over 2019 where yeah. four million people were depending on drinking water from a seven square kilometer lake and for a million people that did not have access anymore to safe drinking water due to algae and being able to solve that being able to solve that problem that's of course awesome and especially if you if you did not use any chemicals if that you are actually re-establishing ecosystem and that that yeah that's really very rewarding in in our work 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that makes a huge difference, right? It sounds like that was a wonderful opportunity and I hope you continue to find opportunities like that and find ways to um, take your technology to the next level too and continue to share that. So um, Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I learned a lot and I hope that listeners will as well. So thank you so much and be well. You're welcome and thank you as well for, for having me. Thank you for that interview, Lisa. It was great to talk to you and gather your insight about the future of smart and sustainable solutions and its role in algal bloom monitoring. So I appreciate your time. Um, a little bit of housekeeping. Bob, you had some uh, housekeeping to share? Yeah, well, I wanted to note that the Water and Waste Digest Facebook page recent reached a new milestone. We have 2,000 likes for the first time ever on that page. Uh, we've been really trying to push it a lot. So if you are interested in more content from Water and Waste Digest, definitely like and follow our page. We've been premiering video interviews on Tuesdays and Thursday nights at 6 p.m. Eastern on there. It's the You can watch them there first, and then they live on our website after that. But definitely like and follow our page if you are interested in more municipal water and wastewater content. And Stormwater Solutions is now accepting nominations for the 2020 Top Project Awards. Nominations are due by August 3rd, so submit your hard work today to be recognized. You can submit your projects at bit.ly slash SWS Top Projects. And if you like the content you heard today, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. We're available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts with us. We love hearing from readers. And engage with us on Twitter, at TUW Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.